I'm Cynthia Murphy. And I am Georgia Bowers. And this is Delete My Browser History. Hello again. Welcome back. This is our second time recording. Um, we're recording July's episodes now, but some of our episodes are out in the world already. Mm-hmm. So thank you if you've listened. I'm going to do that annoying thing where I ask you to follow us or subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever you listen. And if you could also leave a rating or a review, that's really helpful as well. I think when you get ratings and reviews, they kind of bump you up in the visibility a little bit. So it'd be really nice if you could do that for us. Um, We're also over on YouTube, so you can see the visual recordings, which I tend not to edit as much. So they're slightly more chaotic than normal. So go and follow us on YouTube. And if you pop over to our Instagram every Wednesday, you will see a series of images that go with each episode. So if you've been listening to things about human skin books or witch bottles, you can go back and have a look at that episode and there's some visuals there for you. Housekeeping out of the way. Um, I do have one. I've got a correction that I need to make. It's from the episode that's out today, actually, the 15th of June. And it's the one about Victorian morning jewellery. So there's a bit in it where I say that I've got something from Eddie's blog, which is on the Welcome Collection blog. It's not. I don't know why I said that. Eddie's blog is a separate thing. And if you look in the show notes, I've linked where I've actually read it. And there was a note from a doctor where she talks about why we find human hair so weird. And I've said that that's from Eddie's blog. It's not. <laughs> I don't know where that's from. Um Sorry. So, but she did say it at some point. I just can't find the source. And the last one in the Human Skin Books episode, which is the first one, I talk about Mary Lynch, who um, some of the books were bound in her skin. And I think I said she died of consumption and she didn't. It was trichinosis. So there we go. There you go. I need to listen to myself to see if I've got anything that I need to correct. Well, I edit them, don't I? So that's true. I do hear them like 17 times. (laughs) So when I get something wrong, it's like, oh, so there we go. Corrections corner over. So Georgia, you're first this week. I'm first today. Today, I'm going to be talking to you about premonitions (gasps) and precognition. I did a little bit of research into this for a book I wrote ages ago called Sometimes It Lingers, where I had a scene where this kid had a sort of premonition. I wrote it so long ago. But also my my latest one has premonitions in it, doesn't it? It does, yeah. Yeah, Either I just had it in a slightly different format. Yeah. Yeah. So my main character um sees murders on an old film projector before they happen. So she's in a race against time to stop them before they come true. Anyway, um, have you ever had a premonition or anything? No, but I have this ongoing joke with my husband that I am psychic, which I'm not. I'm like the least psychic person ever. But every now and then I dream stuff that then so I might dream that somebody's pregnant and then they are pregnant or like one of my friends is pregnant at the minute and I dreamt about her that the baby kicked while I was there and then I spoke to her the next day and the baby had kicked for the first time the day before so I don't know if it's weird female you know intuition-y stuff or whether I am a little bit psychic yeah I do get feelings about things like if I'm gonna if I have good news I know I'm gonna get good news which is really annoying because when you (laughs) You, you don't feel that way. You're just like, oh, brilliant. Oh, um, 
Yeah. Anyway, so I've done a little bit of um, research here and sort of gone down a particular route, which I thought was really interesting. It talks about with premonitions and precognition, I think they're slightly different. And these are from the Oxford Dictionary. So to have a premonition, premonitions are a strong feeling that something is about to happen, especially something unpleasant. And then a precognition is foreknowledge of an event especially as a form of extrasensory perception. So I think precognition is is where you have like an image. So perhaps we're talking dreams and visions and things rather than just like a terrible feeling that something bad is going to happen. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Maybe people could just, you know, let us know what they think. So famous premonitions, some of these are a bit sketchy, Mm -hmm. you know, like those sort of stories you hear that you've heard them so many times, people assume they're true, but you don't know whether they are. So but I think there's some truth in them. So apparently JFK, he knew he had this thing. He was quite obsessed with death and with his own his own death because of what his family had been through, I think. And apparently he said to his wife not long before he was assassinated, but Jackie, if somebody wants to shoot me from a window with a rifle, nobody can stop it. So why worry about it? Oh, being president, it would be probably on your mind quite a lot. Yeah, but also being the president's wife, not really the sort of thing you want to hear, is it, from no, your husband? Definitely not. <laughs> I don't um, know if he's on your list, but apparently Abraham Lincoln used to have. Oh, okay. Next. Um, he, someone close, again, this one's a bit sketchy, but someone close to Lincoln apparently shared details of a dream that he had had, that Lincoln had had just before a few days before his death he apparently in the dream the president walked into a room in the white house where he saw a body on the ground surrounded by a mourning crowd lincoln asked someone who had died and they said the president he was killed by an assassin so that was his dream and then not long after that that's what happened to him but as you say if you're president it kind of maybe comes with the territory a little bit so it's something you're thinking about maybe all the time yeah definitely And then another one, this is really sad, Sharon Tate, apparently two years before she was murdered, she was in the bedroom at her boyfriend's house and had a just was overcome by this awful feeling that she couldn't shake. She tried to get to sleep when suddenly a man came into her room. It was the house's former owner who was called Paul Byrne, but Paul had committed suicide several years earlier. She was so scared that she ran out of her room and down the stairs, but she saw an even worse sight of someone with their throat slashed on the stairs. She tried to calm herself down, but she just couldn't shake the images. And she seemed to be awake for all of this. But then over the next few years, she just became convinced that she was the victim on the stairs. Oh, that's sad. I know it is really, it is really sad. I've got a few, I I mean, if you search for weird premonitions and stuff on on Google, you just, you would just get lost down a rabbit hole. Uh, But I've got a few here that I thought I would share. So these are from various places. I'll send you all the links, of course, Reddit and BuzzFeed. This one, my nan once had a dream about a woman standing at the end of her bed, telling her to move my mum and aunt out of the room. She had the dream for three nights before she finally told them. The next night... The roof over their bedroom collapsed and a massive beam dropped right across their beds. When she described the messenger to my dad, it turned out the woman was his mother who died when he was young. Oh, my God. Yeah. I love Uh, stories like that. Yeah, I know. Yeah. I had this next one. This is from Reddit. I had an extremely disturbing dream which had elements that I felt meant my husband was in imminent danger. I begged him not to go to work that morning because it was his last day at that job, but he wasn't one to call off work. So he went and less than an hour later, he was killed in an accident. 
Oh, no. Oh, yeah. And I've got another one here. Oh, this this is one about this guy. He has, right, I have had a recurring dream since I was about eight years old that I will be shot and killed in a mall when I'm 37 years old. It's very specific, but the mall looks completely unfamiliar to any mall in this. The word mall sounds really weird every time I say it. Now, in the city where I have lived my entire life, I'm now 32 with a two and a half year old daughter. I have the same dream, sometimes only once a year, sometimes multiple times a month. I never go to any mall. I don't trust the age thing, but I certainly won't visit a single mall when I'm 37. It scares the crap out of me. And then he says, I'll report back in five years if I'm not dead. Oh, no. I know, oh. so just having such a, a vivid, like, yeah you you just avoid going to that place and it's happening to him so like over and over and over do you have any recurring dreams no I've never had any recurring dreams I had one what happened I get in a lift and it snaps and the the lift is like swinging and I have to try and jump out oh and I'm not frightened of lifts in real life, but it's one like it will it'll wake me up. It's it's terrifying. And it's that thing of having to I have to like push myself back against the wall or try mm. and jump. And it, it never plummets. It just snaps and swings and it's terrifying. And I have it all the time. It's a really you, strange one. Since when? Have you been having it your whole life? Probably as an adult anyway, for as long as mm-hmm. I can remember. Yeah. And it because it's one of those I'll wake up and be like, oh, I had the lift dream. <laughs> You know, it's a really, I don't know if it's one of those things that when I'm feeling a bit off kilter yeah, in life and that's how it manifests, but I can still get in a lift. It doesn't bother me, but the thought yeah. of that happening is really scary. Yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Mm. So I hope that's um, not a premonition. No, I hope not as well. Soon, yeah. <laughs> I've got another one here. During the Second World War, a lady called Mona Miller and her children were evacuated to Devon. There was obviously, you know, this was something that happened to a lot of people who were in London. They were from London. Mona could not shake the feeling that she and her children were in the wrong place. For four months, she spent each day in Devon with a little voice telling her that she should go back to London, even though she knew London was being bombed and was a dangerous place to be for her family. One morning she woke up and she just couldn't ignore the feeling anymore. And she and her children had to go back to London. So they went back. They went back. A few days after they got back to London, a letter came from Mona's friend in Devon who said that the day after they left, three bombs were dropped on Devon, one of them demolishing the house that Mona and her children would have been in if they'd stayed. Oh, oh, I've got goosebumps. I know. Oh, my God. So, yeah, I think this is really interesting. So this is from an article that was in The Guardian, and it's taken from a book that I'll mention at the end. The article is called The Vision Collector, and it starts off talking about this tragedy in 1966. There were a coal tip on a mountain slope collapsed on a Welsh village called Aberfan. Yeah. And I think a lot of people will have heard about that because there was a lot, I mean, it was such it was such a, an awful thing to happen uh, to the community. It killed 144 people. Uh, you can find out about it online if you want to. I mean, it really was horrific and it really sort of captured the, the nation when it happened. There was a chap called John Barker who was a psychiatrist and he had a keen interest in unusual mental conditions and he was working on a book about whether you could be frightened to death 
So uh, he sounds like our kind of guy, actually. <laughs> He'd always been interested in that sort of the darker side of, you know, some bit more macabre. And apparently the, a child had survived what had happened. But then later on, he'd died from shock apparently oh. in, in the hospital so he that's why he was there but obviously he knew that it, it wasn't he couldn't speak to the families about this sort of thing anyway so he, it got him thinking about the whole the whole thing and what happened but he was very respectful and he spoke to some of the families that were there and he just sort of kept a, a respectful distance he was always interested in the idea of precognition from a science background, but he was also a member of the uh, Britain Society for Psychical Research. Yeah. And when he was speaking to bereaved families, some of them talked about dreams or portents of the incident that they'd had before it happened. For example, there was a mother of an eight-year-old boy who died. A few weeks after she found a drawing that her son had done, and it was a drawing of lots of figures digging on the hillside with the words, the end under it. So this, this chap, John Barker, he decided to conduct a study. And with the help of the science editor from the Evening Standard, he asked the public to come forward if they'd had a premonition about the disaster, like if they'd have a vivid dream or, or some kind of tele, tele, telepath. can't say it, telepathy. Telepathy, is that right? Can't say it, anyway. <laughs> telepathic yeah tell it anyway so if they'd had a vivid dream or vision about it so and he got 76 replies he got 76 people come forward so for example constant there's a lady called constance from plymouth who had a vision at a she was at a spiritualist meeting the night before and she, uh, she told six witnesses that she'd seen an old schoolhouse a welsh miner and then an avalanche of coal rushing down the mountain a chap who uh, he was convinced for days before the accident that there was a national disaster about to happen on the Friday of that week. He said it came to him as strongly as it might as the thought that you've forgotten your wife's birthday. It was just he just couldn't shake it and he was convinced something was going to happen. So this uh, Barker wrote back to the percipients, he called them these people who'd had the visions and asking for more details and if they had any witnesses and then the material there was so much material that he was absolutely convinced that the general public were capable of precognition he then went on to open something called the premonitions bureau which sounds like an excellent title for a tv show yeah 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 so people could send in their dreams and forebodings which would then be collated and they'd compare them with what was going on in the world and he had like a point scoring system to sort of uh, see how accurate they were and he really believed that over time the bureau would be able it would become like this database for um, mass premonitions and it would it would be able they might be able to sort of harness its power to try and stop like these major disasters happening he always he, he, he did acknowledge that there was this kind of paradox that if a calamity is avoided because of a premonition was it ever going to happen so he was he was quite open about the fact there's a sorry. lot isn't there like you could say asking somebody after something has happened whether they've had a premonition of it it would be very easy to say oh well yeah. I did have this dream and actually and you mold it to be yeah. to fit in if I started telling you every dream that I ever had and then one or two of them happened yeah oh it's quite it's yeah I think labor intensive <laughs> it is and yeah he just thought it was worth a shot anyway this this bureau and it got its first major hit in 1967 and a man called Alan Hencher which I think is a really good name he worked for the post office and he was one of the people who saw the disaster at Abavan happening um he experienced he gets like physical sensations when something is about to happen and he'd called he called early in the morning and told 
um, told him about a plane crash that he just kept having this real strong feeling about. He was really upset as he'd had a vision of a French built passenger jet experiencing problems over the mountains. He said there'd be 124 people on board and only one person would survive in very poor condition. And he didn't know where it was going to happen, but he'd just been having this feeling for days. So he called Barker. Barker wrote everything down. You know, obviously this poor guy was really upset. If it had happened to him once before with the mining disaster, I guess he just kind of felt this sense of duty to try and stop people, you know, from dying a horrible death. Basically, it sort of seemed to come to pass. There was a a French-built passenger jet which was experiencing problems. It was coming over the mountains. It was radioing that it was in trouble. It was just, there was a lot of similarities to what this vision that that he was having. And it happened nine days later, a turboprop Britannia passenger aircraft carrying 130 people, which was attempting to land during a thunderstorm after it had refueled and it had got rerouted. And the the headline in the paper was 124 die in airliner. Apparently two people survived who were taken to hospital, but they both died. Oh, my God. Yeah, so he was really, really close. It's like final destination. Yeah, it is. And he... um, yeah, so that's from a book called The Premonitions Bureau by Sam Knight, and it's going to be on Amazon Prime. Huh? So that'll be interesting. But the thing that got me was the end of this article. I think I've got the, the right timeline here. But the day after the crash, Hencher called Barker again. So Hencher is the guy that has the visions. And Barker wrote down in his diary when he got this phone call, I suppose anybody who plays about with precognition in this way, to some extent, sticks his neck out and must accept what he gets. So just bear that in mind. Go <laughs> so Hencher told Barker that he had been we- really worried about him all day, that there might be some kind of accident, something was going to happen to him. Hencher asked Barker if he had a gas supply and he asked him what colour car he had because he said whenever he thought of Barker, his mind would just fill with something black. Hmm. Hencher said to him, be very careful and look after yourself. And then I did a little bit of research to find out whether Barker was still alive. But he died of a brain hemorrhage. In oh, God. Yeah. Which, of course, would make everything go black. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So I thought it was a bit, yeah. Can science explain premonitions? There's a lot, if you read up on it, there is a lot of talk about science and timelines and quantum theory and all that sort of stuff, which just goes way over my head. Yeah, I bet. Because I mean, when you think of like time being a social construct and, you know, we made up months, we made up hours, we made up all that business and they say time is a circle. It's not a line. So is it things that some people have already experienced or it's already happened somehow? And oh, it is, it's mind melting. Well, these are all excellent questions, (laughs) Yeah. There's a chap called Michael Shermer, who is a science historian, a professional skeptic, and he's he's written books on the subject. And he just says randomness and chance play a big role in life and in the world. And our brains are designed to see patterns, not randomness. So when these things yeah. do happen, we're like, oh, there's a pattern there. Because that's just we how we want to make sense of it, don't we? Yeah, that's how our brains are wired. And what you were saying, he said you have billions of people having dozens of dreams a night. So the odds are pretty good that on any given night someone's going to have a dream about someone dying and then they do actually die and then of course you don't think about it if you don't have a dream about someone dying and then them dying he's sort of saying it's just a coincidence that you know you dream about which don't you so yeah some of it will seem like it's come true so possible explanations for precognitive precognitive dreams get your head around this 
selective recall, people recall confirmed premonition dreams more significantly than disconfirmed premonition dreams. In other words, if your dream predicts the future, you are more likely to remember that dream than your dreams that don't predict the future. Well, Which, yeah, because it's like you said, your brain wants to put a meaning yeah. in it. Yeah, that's it. That's Tolerance for ambiguity. Some dreamers interpret am- ambiguous dreams as positive or desirable which again you just kind of put your own spin on it then don't you (laughs) this is no surprise people who have paranormal beliefs researchers have found that there's a significant relationship between belief in the paranormal and precognitive dreams which doesn't surprise me of course yeah if you're open to that sort of thing again the other thing is coincidence so some people who have precognitive dreams may not interpret them as predictive until a corresponding event occurs in real life yeah. So, yeah. And then the last thing, well, the other thing is subconscious connections. So they hypothesize that we dream to process our memories and emotions. And as a result, events that you experience during the day may stick with your subconscious. I mean, it, it makes sense, doesn't it? So you can kind of explain it away that way. But some of these, some of these experiences that people have had and some of their vivid dreams are so like bang on but I suppose you're only you can only believe what they're telling you really well this is it I mean it would change your mind if you had a really vivid dream that seemed out of place because like I was saying before I will dream about a friend or a family member so I I'll remember those dreams so then you know you might put more meaning on those than there actually is But if I woke up and I'd remembered something about like a big catastrophic event and it was completely out of the norm for what I would normally remember and then it happened, you know, you could be told, well, out of the billions of people in the world, one person was going to dream about it. But if it was you who had done it, it would be completely, of course, you've premonitioned it (laughs) because what other explanation could there be? You know, it's a, a very personal thing, isn't it? I think so. My So one of my relatives, when he was a little boy, this is a long, long time ago, his parents had gone out for the night and left him with babysitter. And when they came home, you know, how's he been? He's been fine. He's been asleep, blah, blah, blah. So babysitter left and they kind of got on with the rest of their night. They went up to check on him and he'd gone. He wasn't in his bed and he was very young. He was only about eight or nine or something. And obviously they freaked out and they went out looking for him and they found him walking down the road in his pajamas. And he was still like sleepwalking, sort of in a bit of a dream state. And they caught up with him and they said, oh, you know, where are you going? You've got to come back and get into bed. Where are you going? In and he said, I'm going to see granddad. So they all went home together and the phone rang and they answered the phone and granddad had just died. Oh my God. Dun, dun, dun. See, that's crazy. Yeah. And that, like yeah. I said, that's like a little, a little family. It's not a legend. It's true. Yeah. So anyway, but they do say that it's important to realize that if you have a premonition about death, but it doesn't always mean that someone is going to die. It could just mean that th- there's like the end of something in your life is coming. Yeah. You know, you're being reborn or, you you know, it's time to start a new job or something like that. So, so yeah, that's me. Fantastic. I am going to change it up completely. Yours was very sciencey. Mine is a bit more folklore. I am going to tell you about La Pascualita. And I am so sorry <laughs> that I've just said that completely wrong, I'm sure, but you know, I'm trying my best. So this mainly comes from Astonishing Legends. So this is a story that I came across 
I can't remember when I came across it, but it was kind of the opposite. I didn't research it because I was writing about it. I came across it and I planned to write something based on it because it just it just really caught my attention. So I've started off. Let me take you to the city of Chihuahua in Mexico. There, if you visit the corner of Ocampo and Victoria Streets and step inside a small bridal shop called La Popular. This is the home of La Pascualita. On March the 25th in 1930, so like 92 years ago, a mannequin was placed into the window of the shop La Popular. Locals kept stopping and commenting because she was so lifelike and apparently bore a really striking resemblance to the owner's daughter. Oh, now. Where's this going? (laughs) According to the legend, Pascuala Esparez recently lost his daughter. So she had died. And there's various legends, but the most common was that she was bitten by a black widow on the morning of her wedding. Mad with grief, he embalmed her, put her in a dress that she would never wear and put her in the window. It's never been confirmed. And it's it's just lots of folklore. The thing is, when you see this dummy, and I'll put pictures on Instagram, you, like when you look at it close up, it has veins Um, It's got veins in the eyes. Its fingernails are so realistic. And it reminded me of the film House of Wax. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I watched it recently, actually. Paris Hilton wasn't that bad in it, actually. I think she got a bit of an unfair rap at the time. Um, But it was House of Wax. It looks like a person. And it just looks so realistic. The eyelashes, the eyebrows. It doesn't look like a mannequin. So he died in 1967. And of course, this was never confirmed whether it was his daughter or not. After his death, employees began to say that she moved or that she changed positions whenever they looked away or overnight. And it became like this little legend that if you walk past the shop at the dead of night, you might see her smile or you might see her move. So it became a little bit of a tourist attraction. So rumours rose, police investigated, because obviously it would be illegal if he embalmed his daughter and put her on display in the window. But apparently they only found wax and plastic. But some workers, um, I went on allthatsinteresting.com and there are people who worked there who said that the eyes followed them around. One worker claimed that they broke out in a cold sweat every time they went nearer and they had to change her dress twice a week and apparently she has varicose veins in her legs which is a weird thing to to put on a mannequin but then I was thinking like I don't know like surely if they undressed her you would see whether she was real or not or if she was just like on a wooden body so I don't I don't know there wasn't there's not a lot of information about her but this other legend started doing the rounds and it was that she started as a mannequin but then this French magician visited Mexico and he became so entranced with her that he brought her to life and he would take her out dancing and wine and dine her around town all night and then he would take her back every morning and she would become the mannequin again. It's got all these lovely little legends. Wow. Um, The film Mannequin, the 80s film Mannequin. Or Weird Science, it kind of reminded Mm -hmm. me of. Yeah. So on history101.com, they say that experts agree it's not a corpse because it would need perfect conditions, which obviously Mexico is a really hot country. The embalming would need to be flawless and it would need constant work because it's 92 years old. It would need to be constantly worked on to stay preserved. It looks too good. And it compared it to other like famous embalmings like Lenin, Mao 
and there are some popes and saints, Ho Chi Minh, all these kind of, you know, leaders who um, have been embalmed and put on kind of public display. They don't look as good as this mannequin does and they are constantly looked after. But there are parts of it that look so realistic, like her hands. They look as if um, they look as if they've discolored on the fingertips. They look like they've got where blood would pool. It looks like the nail beds have dried out and drawn back a little bit, like they would on a corpse. And I'm going to put up a close up of the hand because that's it, it. Oh, I don't know if it's real or not. I can't mm-hmm. decide. That's all I really found on her. But then I thought, right, okay. So if we're going to say that this is an embalmed corpse and it has survived somehow, if she died of a black widow bite. Would that be, you know, what would that do to the body? So could you tell that way? What it would do, it would affect the nervous system. So apart from like the localised bites getting inflamed and sore and swollen, the rest of what it would do would be internal. It would affect muscle groups and things like that. So there would only really be a visible site at the wound site. Mm. So potentially, because I was thinking Black Widow, maybe it would like eat away at all your tissue, but no, it's uh, it's mainly like respiratory problems and muscle stuff. So potentially that could be true. And then I went on Reddit, which is always fun. And there's people arguing on there like, yes, I think it's real. No, I think it's not. 1930s, apparently mannequins were made like wax sculptures. So including casting molds from real people. So that Mm -hmm. might explain why it's so realistic Mm because it's actually been cast. But then we've got other people going, no, well, the fingertips show liver mortis, which is where blood pools. Um, And then somebody else has argued and said, well, blood is drained if you embalm somebody so it wouldn't show that anymore but then embalming them in a normal situation this doesn't sound like a normal situation no exactly so it might not have been done properly but then if it's not done properly would it have survived and someone said then so why would you put veins on a, a mannequin in the hands and legs and then somebody said maybe the extremities were preserved and it's on like a wooden torso so maybe it's the head and arms and legs are real and the rest of it isn't a mortician in training says nope it's not real and then one fact that I found which I thought was really cool was some brides will go to the shop and they will only buy the dress that she is dressed in on that day because it's meant to be good luck I don't know why oh my goodness but there you go so there are some incorruptible bodies so Saint Bernadette is one apparently her body didn't decay the way it should have done but she is on display now and she has got a wax face cast so she looks kind of similar and then wax figures in media you've got house of wax wax works of course at madame two swords and stuff i hate them i think they're horrible and that's it well that's just perfect <laughs> so sorry about that I just want to know why did he put it in the window because he was mad with grief apparently there's not a lot about it no Mm. interesting it is it's weird isn't it but i remember seeing it and thinking Mm. there's something there lovely story see you next week yeah see you next time (laughs) browser history deleted